Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, the podcast where we have fun talking about video games and that video game music. I'm rootin' tootin' shootin' Mike. And I am Cowboy Ed. And this is our Wild West. Okay, I can't. No, this is not even a good accent. (laughs) This is our Wild West (laughs) episode. We're talking about games that you can have a hoedown to, a Wild West hoedown to, of the VGM variety. Yes, episode 85. Man, it just feels like we're getting older and older. Well, you are. 15 still, episodes away from episode 100. Man. I'm still young and You're a pretty. You're a young buck. Yes, yes, a young pretty lass. Still got your six-shooter in full working order? You know it. <laughs> So, we're going to tackle the Pixel Chat questions first. We have three wonderful questions from three wonderful people. So, starting off, we're going to go with Richard Cruz. And Richard says, Hi, guys. My name is Richard Cruz. I I just said that. I go by Morseus and Online Games and as my moniker as part of Winter Ion Game Studios. My question for you is this. When you have established game series such as Final Fantasy and Zelda that have had the same composer for decades, Do you think there is any obligation already set upon whoever the new composer is for these series? Do you think Yoko Shimomura had any obligations to Uimatsu when she composed Final Fantasy XV? Did Manaka Katawaka owe anything to Koji Kondo when she took over on Breath of the Wild? If they don't owe anything to their predecessors, do you think there's anything that they must do for the fans of these series? Cheers and good luck on the show. I'm gonna say yes, I do think that if it's a established franchise that has established themes such as like Zelda, the overworld theme, or even like uh, Dragon Quest when uh, Manami Matsume took over, they incorporated the elements from the theme songs and the classic songs that have inspired and, you know, kind of some, some artists did their own takes on it, but others just flat out just copied and pasted the originals. and. I, I kind of expect that they'll put their own flair on it. It needs to not be too different, but it needs to be recognizable. That, that's kind of how I feel about it. But as far as the entire soundtrack, no. I, I think that if you're gonna do a sequel in a franchise, it doesn't need to only have the classic songs. It, it should have brand new songs along with it that, that speak to that composer's style. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on some points and disagree with you on other points. I mean, I don't think the question really addresses how much autonomy the composer has when they're composing for a new game. You know, like Matt Furness told us when he was composing for the Disney games, Mm -hmm. he had to do rewrites and he had to get it to Disney's specifications. Right, right. So somebody like Manaka Karaoko, who's taking over in Breath of the Wild, I'm sure Nintendo was on her back, like, you know, you have to incorporate this much theme in it, you have to do this. Yeah. Uh, You know, whether they want to do that or not, I think is, at least with the bigger, more established series, I think that the developers have much more control over what kind of music those composers are putting out. Mm -hmm. If they were, theoretically, given full autonomy over their compositions, Mm -hmm. yes, I do think that it would help this series along by incorporating those themes. I don't necessarily know if they're beholden to the composers themselves, maybe more beholden to the themes of the series Mm -hmm. itself. Mm -hmm. But also they're trying to make a name for themselves and they're trying to build their own portfolio for future stuff. So they're, they're gonna have to build upon those themes but also create original music that also fits with that that game. You know, you can't just go and redo what another composer's done and, and, and hope that people are going to enjoy it. I mean, sure, they'll right. enjoy it, but it's not going to give you a name of your own right, in right. terms of composition. I'm more thinking of it not in terms of, as you mentioned, Disney. With Disney, they're their own company, and 
uh, Mickey Mouse, for example, is like their IP, and so they want it to sound a specific way, whereas with the Final Fantasy games and the Zelda games, those are games that are owned and operated by the development companies that are creating these games. Like, yeah. for example, I can't remember off the top of my head the development company that made, like, Mickey Mania or whatever, or even, like, the Mickey Mouse games for, like, Magical Quest, like those games. Those games have soundtracks that are not necessarily sounding like a Mickey Mouse cartoon. They have their own unique aspects to it. Yeah. And I feel that I, I kind of feel like the composer should go in whatever direction that they want to go in, but at the same time they do kind of have to pay respects to the franchise in and of itself. Right. So, right. I mean, it... I think we're kind of agreeing here just in different yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, second question. Second question is from Keyglyph, who seems to have a question every episode nowadays. So she asks, if you created a Pixel Tunes radio bingo game, what sorts of words or phrases would be on the boards? Words that we use right. very often. Uh, snappy. Snappy would be on there. Snappy? Yeah. Okay. I'm always talking about snappy drums. That's true. That's true. Um, I say absolutely a lot. Yeah, absolutely. You say the phrase various different a lot. Yes. Just like words like incredible, unbelievable. I don't think I've ever said unbelievable. I've said unbelievable. <laughs> I think I, I think we said unbelievable a lot in the Tim Fallon episode. That's what she said. You're unbelievable. Your face is unbelievable. Oh. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't really have any others. I can't think of any. Awesome is yeah, another one. Yeah, I think our listeners need to help us out with this, maybe. Yeah. The Facebook group. Let's do it. Let's, Facebook, uh, let's, Twitter. let's build a bingo card for Pixel Tunes Radio, yeah. Whatever, if, if you win anything in that, then you get a high five or something. An internet high five. You get an internet high five, that's right. <laughs> Cam Worma asks us, if for some reason all video games were wiped from existence with the exception of all games ever made in one specific genre, what genre would you prefer it to be? Narrow it down to subgenres if possible. RPGs, for example, is too broad. JRPGs or action RPGs would be acceptable. Hey, I don't make the rules. Yes, you do. You, it's your question. All right, so <laughs> that's a good one. I am going to say action platformers. Okay. Ja Japanese action platformers. There we go. I don't know if I could do this. I don't think I could just play one genre of game forever and ever. Uh, maybe, maybe like point and click adventures? Maybe? Perhaps? Like the Telltale series of games? I don't know, I can't. Any, any, any genre I picture in my head, I picture playing that forever and I, I can't picture only playing that. Like I, I, I switch up so much with my preferred genres that. So you're saying you can't answer this one? I would say point-and-click adventure games would be the first thing that came to my mind. So that's the answer I'm gonna go with. All right, that's what you're stuck with for yeah, the rest of your life. I know. I'm not happy about that. <laughs> but I'm also not happy about platformers or RPGs or anything else. True. So, oh well. Oh well. You so, stink, Cam. Yes. Making us choose. It's like choosing our favorite kid. You can't do that. I can Could do that. Could you choose a favorite pet? Uh, yeah. Oh, you're a terrible person. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's jump into our clarification corner. This is a little moment in time or history of Pixel Tunes Radio where we have a 
little correction that we need to make from a previous episode. So, Ed, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Yeah, uh, listener Utopia Nemo, otherwise known as Nathan, sent us a fantastic email right after we aired our TurboGrafx-16 slash PC Engine show. Uh, Gave us lots of great compliments, so thank you very much, Nathan. Glad you enjoyed it. He gave us a slight correction on what we talked about with that... uh, That Ease... That Ease clone game. game. I don't even remember the title off the top of my head. It was a Japanese title. But anyways, he writes, You guys slightly oversimplified the Yi's 1 and 2 combat system. The position of your character's sword relative to the enemy is critical. The goal is to align yourself with the enemy so that your sword touches them, but your character doesn't. Anyways, it is pretty simple, but it was the first action-adventure I played on the Sega Master System, so I guess I don't mind that much. So, I didn't know that about Yi's, so I guess if I ever do play that that game, aside from like Oath of Felgana right. or the remakes, that it will help me play the game a little it, bit better. It's, I've played the first one on the Wii because uh, when it came out, when they re-released it for the Wii, I picked it up because I'd always wanted to play a Yeez game without paying the crazy prices. And I, I guess I was disappointed because the gameplay was very stiff and wooden to me, and I didn't like the idea of bumping into my character to be able to defeat them. It, it seemed very haphazard. I guess you could say. You don't like wandering in public and smashing bodies with random people? No, no, not my style. (laughs) So that is what I'll say about Ease. I I think that the games are good. I just think that the combat in the first game in particular is very, very difficult. I actually really like the the later Ease games, like the remakes, like uh, Oath and Felgana, Ark of Nepishtim. Nepishtim. I was going to say Nepishtim. I, I usually well, I used to say Nephilim because it sounds yeah, similar, yeah. but it's it's not. But yeah, so that is kind of how I feel about Ease. I like the later games like uh, like that. So yeah. So thanks, Nathan, for that clarification. Yes. Hopefully, it'll help some other future Ease players if they decide to play those games. Agreed. Alrighty, let's jump into our Wild West hoedown. So. Wild West, I think I was actually the one that presented this idea to you. Yes. And I, I must thank whoever picked the Wild Arms 3-track in our fan picks episode. I believe it was episode 80. Mm-hmm. Because I really dug that track, and it kind of got me thinking about playing Wild Arms. And, of course, we'll, we'll be hearing from Wild Arms in a little bit. But I was really impressed with the soundtrack, and I had recently picked up a compilation CD of Wild Arms music redone, like rearranged, and I really dug it. And I started looking more into the composer and started, you know, thinking about it and, you know, kind of th- rum- rummaging through my own thoughts to a Wild West episode and what we could do. So I presented it to you, and you were like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And so initially we were kind of struggling with games to pick from and then the floodgates just kind of opened and we were like oh okay we can do this one or that one or this one or that one so there's a lot of games that aren't on this list unfortunately that I would have loved to pick from which I don't know maybe we can go into those like a little bit later like after the show yeah I mean it always leaves room open for another Wild West show as well if if people like this one and we have fun doing it yeah absolutely Um, so thanks does go to Matt Waller for inspiring the show he's the the listener that picked Wild Arms 3 for our fan favorites 2 episodes Yes, that was a great track. So definitely go back and listen to that episode if you haven't, because all our fans picked really great music. Yeah. So the first game we're going to be talking about is Dark Watch, and it came out on the Xbox and PlayStation 2 in 2005. This is my pick. It's the GBU theme, and it's by Michael Reagan and Astru Sierra, who's also known as Ozo Motley. Also, Ennio Morricone, and we'll talk a little bit about that 
after you listen. Yay! Welcome back. That was Dark Watch for the Xbox and the PlayStation 2. The release date was 2005, and that track was GBU theme by Michael Reagan, Osdrew Sierra of Osmothly, and Ennio Morricone, which was credited for his Good, the Bad, and the Ugly track. That's pretty much like the opening track to the famous, one of the best westerns of all time. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ennio Morricone is a composer who composed for, yeah, a bunch of different Western movies. The Sergio Leone Spaghetti Western right. is where he really gained Pretty his fame. Much. Yeah. Good, Bad, the Ugly soundtrack yeah. will gain, like, international fame. Oh, so, absolutely. Uh, very, very famous for that. And so, a lot of his tunes kind of became the inspiration for a lot of the Dark Watch soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got a interesting take on those on those western themes it's more like like a grindy electronic kind of vibe to it yeah this one is more like a traditional style like very yeah i'm not going to say generic western but like stereotypical western theme Mm -hmm. which is i think why we decided to you know kind of start the show with it right because it just kind of gets you into that kind of western mood Uh, but the rest of the soundtrack yeah has a lot of really kind of modern industrial and hip-hop kind of takes on on western themes it's really cool right and the game itself kind of mirrors that as well because it is a first person shooter with different like rail shooter aspects when you're on like a horse and you're playing as this character named jericho cross and he's basically like this outlaw who is invading this train and he runs into this girl who's basically like, no, you can't, like, you know, what are you going to do? And then they end up blowing up the this this gate wide open and it kind of like unleashes like these evil, like undead enemies. And 
From what I understand, he turns into a vampire. Like, he gets bit by a vampire, and, and, and so at that point, he gets recruited by this this group called Dark Watch, basically. So, uh, gameplay-wise, it's very similar to Halo, the very first Halo. Okay. So, if you like Halo, you will like Dark Watch in that aspect. So, <laughs> it's really cool. I remember having pretty like a really good time with this one. I originally owned it for the PS2, and then I ended up picking it up for the Xbox. The reason being is the video on that was just so dark. Mm. So it, This is a very dark game. I, I couldn't adjust the settings in-game or on my TV to make it look clean enough yeah. and bright enough without making it look washed out. So I got rid of that version and picked up the Xbox version, which is a little bit better because it runs off of component. I didn't have component cables for my PS2. So... Yeah, either way, the game controls great. I think it it, pr- it probably controls a little bit better on the Xbox just because of the way that the controller's designed. It's more, de- in my opinion, it's better designed for first-person shooters than the PS2 controller, but that's just me, personally. Hmm. Uh, was this a Japanese game or an no, American developer? No, it was developed by High Moon Studios, and High Moon developed it. It was published in the U.S. by Capcom and in Europe by okay. Ubisoft. High Moon, they used to be uh, Sammy Studios, actually, but it was the part that was part of Sierra Entertainment. They're a U.S. development team. They've made Dark Watch, Transformers, uh, tons of Transformers games, War of Cybertron, Dark of Moon, Fall of Cybertron. They made the Deadpool game that came out fairly recently. Oh, okay. Destiny and Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. So they're they're pretty high up there in, in, in that sense. So uh, they, I believe they are still going and they are still making games, so that's good. Uh, this is a good one, and it's cheap too, so definitely pick it up. There's a bit of fan service in the game if you have a problem with that. You know, you, you may have issues with it. There's a lot of like scantily clad, like vampire women, and like mm. one of the main characters is like kind of scantily clad. Keep the kids away from the TV, folks. Yeah, there's a, hey, it's mature rated for a reason. So <laughs> it's got blood, it's got, you know, all that sort of thing. Uh, demons getting split open, you know, shot and stuff. So this one also has like a steampunk vibe. Like it, it kind of mishmashes like westerns horror aspects and steampunk all into one game so really cool stuff the composer so michael reagan has worked on a ton of games i mean just to kind of touch on a a few of them xena warrior princess in 1999 he did descent in 95 that was one of his first games uh, that he did sound on Uh, he did the darksiders first game that came out god of war 3 god of war ghost of sparta uh, he did Angry Birds Star Wars. He did additional <laughs> music for that. And Trials Evolution Gold Edition. So Michael Reagan definitely is still in the business. The other person that this is credited to is Azdru Sierra of Ozomotli. I don't know if I'll ever pronounce that correctly. <laughs> At least not on the first try. No, yeah. So the, Oz, Oz, Ozomotli is a six-piece band that primarily works with like Latin hip hop and rock music, but they also incorporate different elements like salsa and funk and rap and all different sort of stuff like that. So he's a member of this group, this six piece. So that's probably where a lot of that more electronic stuff came from. Yeah, yeah. But also these guys have opened for like Carlos Santana. So like they're they're somewhat well known. I mean they've been around since the mid nineties, so they're obviously doing something right. Cool. So, yeah, it wasn't the whole band, just that one member. So, But, yeah, that's that's Watch. Definitely recommended. I suggest picking it up while it's still cheap. I'll have to check it out. It yeah. seems pretty cool. Yeah, it's a pretty cool game. All right, ready to move on to the next one? Yeah, let's do it. All right, next up is the title theme from Call of Juarez 
Gunslinger. This came out on the Xbox 360, PS3, and PC in 2013. It's written by Pavel Blaschtak and Rod Abernethy. That was the theme from Call of Juarez, Gunslinger, by Pavel Blaschtak and Rod Abernathy. That came out on the Xbox 360 and PS3 and PC in 2013. Very cinematic, dramatic Definitely. feel to this one. I really like how uh, they use that like stand-up piano. It sounds like you know, you're know you kind of like in an old-timey saloon when it starts off. And then... like. In the second half, like these large sweeping violins come in with these really heavy percussive elements. It makes yeah. you feel like you're in a movie almost. Those drums just sound really big and booming. 
and that coupled with the harmonica really uh, is a nice send-off to the end of the track where you just have that like like little bit left of that one harmonica just kind of ending the yeah, track. Yeah. I really thought that was well done. I think you're going to see in a lot of my picks a lot of steel guitar and a lot of really low strung bass. Like those are my favorite elements of western yeah. uh, themed music. So I kind of tended to gravitate towards a lot of the tracks that had those those elements present in them. I went for more like clip cloppity, you know, horse train running yeah, down a track yeah. kind of a deal. <laughs> a little bit more of a lighter feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine, mine have a very kind of a uh, dramatic and like uh, more like Western movies and yeah, less like exactly yeah well kind of like a foreboding feel to right, it right which right. I think this one definitely has you know in a lot of these title themes they pan around like Western scenes like it's kind of like before everything bad starts happening mm-hmm. so it's a lot of that kind of dread and and suspense that you might hear at the beginning of a game. Then the composers that worked on this game are not really well known among like our circles, but in okay. terms of um, modern games, they have a lot of really good credits, I guess is the best way to explain mm-hmm. it. Right. Pavel Blaszczak, he's Polish. He's worked for the developer Techland since the year 2000. They're most famous for the Call of Juarez, Dying Light, and the Dead Island series. Mm. Um, but he also composed games for them like Crime Cities, Chrome, Expand Rally, and Space Force Rogue universe. But then later on in his career, he also worked for CD Projekt Red, so he worked on The Witcher 1 and 3 as well, and those are big AAA titles. I mean, yeah. The Witcher 3 is huge. I've not played that one, but I know, I have friends who absolutely love yeah, Witcher same 3. Yeah, same here, same yeah. here. And so now he's kind of splitting his time between Techland and CD Projekt Red, so he might have gone freelance at some point. Rod Abernethy was originally employed by 3D6 Games in 2001, working on Game Boy Advance titles like Disney's Atlantis The Lost Empire, The Revenge of Shinobi, and Altered Beast Guardian of the Realms. Uh, he went freelance in 2003 and started composing for games like King Arthur, Zathura, Jaws Unleashed, and Rayman Raving Rabbids for Ubisoft, and also was lead composer on uh, id's commercial flop Rage. Remember that one that was like huge for like a month and then it yeah, came out and nobody liked it? I remember that. It had like driving and first person elements. Hmm. He also developed a live orchestral scores for EA's Dead Space series as well. So when I guess they did live shows for like video games live and stuff, oh, he orchestrated right. that. Yep, yep. After Call of Juarez in 2013, he released one more soundtrack, which was Pac-Man and the Ghostly Adventures 2 for the Wii U. And after that was just credited for one track on Just Dance Now for, I think, I think that came out on the Wii U. Hey. You don't tell me when to dance. I'll tell me when Just to dance. Just dance now, Michael. <laughs> Get up and move those feet. All right, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Currently, he uh, serves on the board of directors for the Game Audio Network Guild, otherwise known as Gang. I think that was put together by Tommy Tallarico, where he's like the founder or one of the like the president of of Gang, because I see him tweeting about that. Cool. A whole lot. All right. So uh, yeah, you did it. Two two composers that have a lot of good credits under their name. The game is pretty cool. Have you ever tried this one? I've never played any of these games, no. This one, the, the standard Call of Juarez series is a little more in-depth. It's probably not like one of the first-person shooter series games that I like to play. Mm. But Gunslinger is kind of like this little $15 add-on that was more arcade style. That okay. It's kind of like almost comic book style. Uh, it was only like 10 or 15 hours of gameplay. It was only 15 bucks when it came out on the shelves. So mm. it was one of those things where I was like, oh, all right, I'll check it out. <laughs> all right. um, yeah, it's got cool cell-shaded graphics. They really pop. Great voice acting. So there's this protagonist. His name is Silas Greaves. And he walks into a bar. And he's sitting down with his 
buddies or something, and he's he's telling these stories about his adventures, you know, when he was younger, mm-hmm. and he would mix up his stories. So like he would say like you know I left this town and went west and went over this creek, and one of the guys at the table like during the narration as you're playing the game would be like there's no creek to the west of that town. There's a forest. You're crazy. So the game would reload, and all of a sudden instead of you instead of you facing a creek in front of you, there would now be a forest. So the uh. stage switches depending on like you know what corrections were made. So it, it, it's it's neat. You're kind of like rearranging his memories of the story as as it goes through. <laughs> it's like. Wild West, but dementia ridden. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, an old guy getting, had so many adventures that he's getting them kind of mixed up. So it takes place in 1910 and uh, in, in Kansas. So it's like, you know, there's a lot of desert, but also a lot of prairie as well. So it was kind of fun. You can also find, like, they call them nuggets of truth as you're going through the story, and that kind of clarifies his memory. So even beyond what the narration says, you can alternately change different areas where you might find more Mm power-ups or like you said oh you know i found an ammo dump that you know i totally forgot about and that's how i had all this ammo to kill the boss at the end of the level Uh, it's kind of kind of a cool a cool way to play like i said there's not too much gameplay you're pretty much through it in like a couple days worth of playing if you're going through it strong but Mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun and the soundtrack is absolutely phenomenal the voice acting is really good so it was it was a fun play interesting yes indeed cool so um what do you got next on our list uh, well, we got a really famous one, and all our old school friends will love this one. It's Sunset Riders on the Super NES. This came out in 1993. Stage One is the name of the track. It's by Naohisa Morota, who did the Super NES version. Uh, and then also Motoaki Furukawa, who was the composer on the original arcade version, and Hidenori Maizawa, who we have to credit as sound advisor. So let's hit that trail. Welcome back. That was Sunset Riders on the Super NES. The game came out in 1993, and that was Stage 1. And that was by Naohisa Morota on the SNES version specifically, the arranger. 
Motowaki Furukawa, who is the composer of the original arcade, and Hidenori Maizawa, who is the sound advisor. Man, I love this track. It is so energetic, and it has those, those clip-clop drums that kind of come in with those awesome Konami-style dun-dun sound yeah. synth hits. Just love them. It's like that perfect combination of Old West and Konami right. together. Exactly, exactly. I, I think we talked about this game a lot when we did our Ninja Turtles episode. Yes. The Wild West level mm-hmm. theme. We were like, this sounds like it's straight out of Sunset Riders. And, well, now you guys know. Yeah, it yeah. pretty much does. Pretty much. I really especially love the percussion change in the middle of the song. So after the verse kind of breaks down into the chorus, you've got this like, these like almost like steel pipe sounding drums. It sounds almost like they took drumsticks and they're like hitting random like steel <laughs> objects. I took them as like ride cymbals. Like it was just kind of like Neil um, Peart style just smashing all the brass at the same maybe, time. Maybe, I don't know. They sounded too like brash sounding. So to me, they didn't sound specifically like ride cymbals. Like yeah. usually in most video game music regarding drum kits, you can tell when something is an actual like drum kit sound. Yeah. And th- that didn't sound, it sounded to me more like an actual like, like just random things like pots and pans hanging up and they're just like Maybe I'm just them. subconsciously filling in real real drum instruments yeah, and yeah, hearing yeah. it a little bit differently. Yeah, I hear you. But I, I love those synth hits. It's so strong and, and, and tense. Yeah. Yeah, and they were equally as strong. So I'm more familiar with the arcade version of this game. I think I played it in MAME before I even played it on SNES. I'm not even beaten this one, in yeah. all honesty. So the original arcade version is done with Konami's usual YM2151 with their sample channel right. chip. So those hits were just equally as strong, mm-hmm. but they always you know, kept those in for the SNES versions of their game, oh, which, is, yeah. which is what's so cool about it. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't played the Genesis version from every everyone that I've talked to though says that the Super NES version is way, way, way better. It's got the extra sound samples okay. and it's a little more colorful. So you know. very similar to our like Turtles in Time kind of like Genesis exactly. comparison. I, I, you know, I'd really have to go back and listen to the Genesis version because with Hyperstone Heist, I've said this before, but it, it, I really, really love the Hyperstone Heist soundtrack. It's faster, it's more energetic, and I really can't picture anything faster than this Super Nintendo Sunset Riders because it's already got a really high tempo. Yeah. So I'm wondering... <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to the Genesis version and see if it's if it's better. From what I remember, it's it's not as good because this soundtrack relies a lot on those like brass horns, which right. are kind of hard to make. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, like you said, your favorite part, those mm-hmm. synth hits with a sample channel. There's only one sample channel on the uh, on the Genesis, and yeah. it's like really crappy sounding. So I don't, I don't know. even remember if they added those into the song. It, it depends. I think Hyperstone Heist did a really good job when it comes to those synth hits. I thought they sounded really good. They, yeah. they sounded a little bit more muffled than on the Super Nintendo just because of the hardware. And there weren't as the many either. Right, right, right. So I, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to go back and listen. But yeah, this this one definitely stands out to me as, as being one of the best, like, Wild West beat 'em up style games. So, uh, yeah, Sunset Riders, I really didn't spend that much time with either the arcade or the Super NES version. I own the Super NES version, but I haven't really sat down and played through the game completely with another person. Maybe I did it once and I like totally forgot, but I don't know. You, you play as four different bounty hunters Steve, Billy, Bob, and Cormano. 
<laughs> Works for me. I think I always picked Cormano just because <laughs> it's just such a different, goofier He's name. He's the bearded guy with the sombrero, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I always thought he was like the the loose cannon. He like, just I looked was... more exotic than the other guys. All the three other guys were like these very generic looking, right. like heroic cowboy kind of dudes. Right, and then you've got Cormano. You. You're like, right. this dude. I'm going to pick him. I always like would give these types of characters like personalities in the back of my mind. So like to me, Steve, Billy, and Bob were all like the same character, but they were always exactly like you said, like the I'll save you right. You know, sort of person. But Cormano is just like the the loose cannon of the group. You know, he was like just had to do things his way. He's, so. he's the meso of the group. He is. He is the meso <laughs> of the group. So the game, you can pick up different types of weapons. Like Steve and Billy will use like revolvers. Bob uses a rifle and Cormano uses a shotgun. You can jump and shoot. It controls really well. It's it's a lot of fun. It's, yeah. it's, it's more like it's, a run and gun game than a... Yeah, um, I would say it up. has more in common with Contra than it does Definitely. with like Turtles. Yeah. So musically, I think that they did a really good job of transitioning the arcade version. So hats off to Naohisa Morota. Uh, he also worked on games like Castlevania, where he was actually an enemy character programmer. He's done a lot of programming for the Castlevania series, uh, specifically with the 64 games, Castlevania and Legacy of Darkness. Hmm. He was also a game programmer on Sunset Riders as well. So not only did he do audio sound programming, but he also did more generic programming and engineering. His last game was Jikyo Powerful Pro Yakyu 2009. He was a sound programmer on that. I believe he came originally from Sunsoft because some of his earlier titles were Sunsoft games like Freedom Force, Xenophobe, uh, Blaster Master, Fester's Quest, and Afterburner 2, which Afterburner 2, uh, Sunsoft did the NES or Famicom conversion right, right, right. for uh, Sega, so which was always weird to me. <laughs> um, he was also credited on the Journey to Cilia soundtrack as music staff. And Mr. Gimmick, he was a sound programmer on. So this guy definitely knows his stuff when it comes to conversion. For sure. So uh, Motoaki Furukawa, no stranger to the podcast at all, composed games like Super Contra, Snatcher, Lethal Enforcers, Castlevania Rondo of Blood, Police Knots. You know, so he worked back and forth between Konami, and then later on, I think he went to Technosoft and and worked on the Thunder Force 6 soundtrack. Ah, nice. Uh, But he also was a guitarist, so he played live guitar on a lot of their CD audio stuff, Um, and that kind of was what gave... A lot of the later Konami games, they're, they're more rock and sound because he was behind a lot of those compositions, squealing and meeling away. Yes. And Hidenori Maizawa is really primarily only credited for, like, sound design or sound advisor. He took a more advisory kind of role regarding this game, Sound Advisors. It's probably the sound credit. director. He just... Yeah. He's known for Castlevania Three: Dracula's Curse. Fantastic soundtrack. We talked an entire episode about that one, so... Definitely check that out. Adventures of Bayou Billy in 1988. Contra, Risa no Yosei Densetsu in 1988. And other games earlier on, uh, Life Force, Castlevania, Crackout. Uh, he's credited as Castlevania for the music. He was one of the developers of the VRC6 chip. Right. Uh, but, for Castlevania 3. But for the original Castlevania is what you're talking about, right? Right. So suppo- he's supposedly credited for that. I don't think it's composition wise I believe that if he worked on if he's credited for anything it would be the Famicom disk system versions of the Castlevania 1 game Mm -hmm. because it did use I believe the VRC 1 or 2 chip 
Well, he used the FDS channel, right, so it's right. possible that his exp- his experience and expertise was just on the expansion sounds, possibly on the NES, yeah, or yeah. The, the, the Famicom. So, yeah, kind of all over the place regarding credits, but I do think that his final role was Mitsumete Night in 1988. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. What do you got for us? Next up is kind of like a spiritual pseudo-sequel to Sunset Riders. It's called Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa. This was an arcade-only release in 1992. This is stage one, composed by no stranger to our podcast, Michiru Yamane. That was the stage one theme from Wild West Cowboys of Moo Mesa, which Whoa! came out. Interrupting cow. <laughs> which came out in the arcade in 1992, composed by a pre-Castlevania era Michiru Yamane. Yes, indeed. I don't hear too much Castlevania in this particular track. No. I know a lot of her, some of her earlier compositions have that kind of Castlevania feel to it, but this has a very heroic driving cattle through the frontier kind of a feel to it, complete yeah. with the cow sounds in the background. No, this is definitely not Castlevania. The only thing I will say is I, I really love the booming, big feel that the track has later on. It, it gets a little overwhelming at times yeah. because it's just so thick. It's got and, like those castanets that keep clicking away. Yeah, and, yeah. And that really I, powerful FM bass. I love the driving beat, though. It's, yeah. It's, it's a really good track. I, I would say that it's it's just maybe a little too busy at, at points, especially later on. But then when it kind of rolls into the loop, it, it feels very natural sounding. So yeah. it, it kind of brings it all back home and kind of returns to that more heroic gallop, so. Yeah, it's weird, it gets, yeah, it gets heroic and then it gets kind of like foreboding and dramatic. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then it just kind of rolls back into that heroic part again, yeah. so. That end part, it's just, it's too, it doesn't flow well when it's going from the heroic to the foreboding. Yeah, it's kind of schizophrenic in a sense. But when it goes from the foreboding to the heroic, to me, it, for whatever reason, sounds more natural. I don't know. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Well, because usually when you have a heroic kind of thing, you, you're not used to it lowering in mood. Right, right, right. But when you have a low mood track, it's you hear it much more often go into a high right. mood. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Yeah. 
Michiru Yamane, you know, obviously most well-known for Castlevania, but she hadn't started composing for that series yet at this point. Mm -hmm. Around this time, she was uh, contributing music to games like Vendetta, Pop and Twinbee, right. Asterix, she had just started and Rocket Knight Adventures. Yeah. Konami, so she'd been there for a very short time. Exactly. Castlevania yeah. Bloodlines didn't come until two years after this game. Right. My theory is that Konami had a sequel to Sunset Riders, like, in the works, like, mm -hmm. basic framework laid out. Sure. And then they saw, like, the success of Cadillacs and Dinosaurs and a lot of these other kind of Ninja Turtle-inspired right. properties, and so they decided to license the Cowboys of Mumesa, which was a cartoon series, for this particular game. Funny thing is that Ryan Brown, who was uh, an anchor on the Ninja Turtles comic series, he, mm -hmm. he left uh, Mirage Comics and uh, Peter Eastman and, and Kevin Laird and, and created this cartoon right. called Cowboys of Moo Mesa. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, maybe they saw the success with the Ninja Turtles arcade game that Konami was having and maybe they reached out to Konami and were like, hey, let's do a let's do a game here. Yeah, possibly. And they just matched it with Sunset Riders. I, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, Mirage did have a really great relationship with Konami for so many years. Yeah. So that does make sense that maybe he would... You know, he had get, been in contact with them with the Ninja Turtles stuff right, or, or something right. like that. Yeah. So uh, this never had any kind of comic book initially. Did later on. It was like a mini series that came out, but it's primarily well known for being a cartoon, which ran for approximately like two seasons. Two seasons of like thirteen episodes each. Yeah. So not very many episodes came out. And the second season was done by Ruby Spears Productions, who did the infamous Mega Man cartoon. <laughs> so. It was. Yeah. This is the weirdest cartoon. Like, so there's a there was a, like a herd of cattle in the desert, mm -hmm. and this comet, which they refer to as a cow met, <laughs> crashed into the earth and created this like miles high plateau. Like, rose these cows up yeah. into the heavens, and on this plateau, all these cows mutated. Uh, because of the comet that hit, okay. and so they all became kind of anthropomorphic. People right. like beings, humans, and yeah. so all yeah. they knew was how the humans behaved. So they created their own society based on what they saw of the Wild West. Whew. So you end up with characters with like really, really ridiculous names. Yeah, Marshall Moo Montana, Dakota Dude, the Dakota is my Dude, and the Colorado Kid. Yeah, yeah, and those were the three kind of primary heroes. Of and the, Buffalo Bill. And well, no, Buffalo Bull. Was, oh, sorry, Buffalo Bull. He was the he was the token mess o of the group. So okay. he was like a, a, a just a he was a blacksmith. He was like a secondary character on right. the cartoon. Right. And when they I guess decided they wanted to make it a four player game, they're like, oh, I don't know, we'll just grab this guy. Mm -hmm. And so he became like the fourth bigger slower okay. guy. Okay, very similar to as we said, mess o from the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs episode, which right. we talked about. Two like episodes a direct ago. parallel to that. Right. So very uh, similar. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. The cartoon obviously didn't do too well. No. But the game was fun. You know, it's it's a lot like Sunset Riders, right. where it's kind of a run-and-gun, four-player action style set in a more cartoony version of the Old West. The sprites are a heck of a lot bigger and more cartoony. Uh, with four players on the screen, it gets super chaotic. Yeah. It's really hard to tell what's going on. It's interesting that Ryan Brown actually did work very closely with Konami on the game's development, yeah, too. Yeah. So. Um, he also created a lot of the action figures for the Ninja Turtles. Like He created the characters of Leatherhead okay. and a whole bunch of other guys. And not only created the characters for the cartoon series and the and, and the and the later comic books, but mm -hmm. also created, like, sculpted their actual figures that right. Playmates came out oh, with. Oh, wow. So, he's a pretty talented guy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, these characters look good. The cartoon has sure. some good design to it. Mm -hmm. I just think it was too... 
uh, wasn't, this, wasn't marketable enough. This, I don't know. Kind of generic. The game itself was a little bit more fair as you received a three-part life bar yeah so if you got hit you wouldn't just die like you did in sunset yeah. riders you would actually be able to you know kind in, of in the action sequences yeah but there were some mini games where you had to like tap the button as fast as you can to like mm. get up a waterfall okay and if you like went to the bottom of the screen you would just die in one hit <laughs> those were referred to as a lot of reviews i saw referred to them as the quarter eating sections because okay. you would die a heck of a lot in those mini games and then kind of survive a little bit better during the action sequences yeah it's a shame this one never came out to the super nintendo because it would have been it would have fit perfect yeah on. yeah uh, again i think same with cadillacs and dinosaurs it was more of a licensing deal mm -hmm. you know by the time it hit arcades i think the the cartoon probably it wasn't being made anymore right. or it was on its way out yeah. and so there was never any interest in bringing it out anywhere hmm. oh well bummer sad but fun to play you can as usual play it in MAME I don't think it's come out in any compilations or anything like no. that so no, it hasn't. round up some uh, some friends and round up some pokies and, and move on over oh. to Cowboys of Moo Mesa oh boy <laughs> Alright, let's go on to our next track. Our next track comes from a game that is one of my favorites from the last, or not last, previous? I don't know. I don't know what generation this is, but it's on the Xbox 360. <laughs> uh, came out in 2009, and it's a track called Desert Slaying, and it's by Brian Libarton.
<laughs> Howdy, folks! Welcome to the world of Grand Theft Western. Take control of a cowboy, or cowgirl, or cowperson as you roam the deserts of California and Arizona looking for gold and taking on the Ed. bandits hidden in the hills across the desert. Ed. Ed! Mike, what? what is it? I'm trying to do a skit here. Red Dead Redemption. What? Red Dead Redemption. Rockstar already made their own Western Grand Theft Auto. You can do pretty much everything you just described in Red Dead Redemption. Seriously? Combining game genres with Grand Theft Auto is like our thing. Man, this sucks. Alright, alright. How about... Hello there. I am Ryu Hayabusa. Somehow, I've been transported to the Wild West, where I need to slice and dice my way through bandits and, uh... Rising Xan on PS1, Samurai Western on the PS2, or even Red Steel on the Wii. I mean, it's, it's been done before. Not funny. You're kidding me. I, I mean, you're kidding me. I can't even do a Ryu skit? Alright, think, Ed. Think. There's, there's gotta be something. Okay, okay, I've, I've, I've got it. Hello, this is the king of all cosmos. Somehow, the prince and I have been transported to the Old West, and the tiny prince needs to roll up bonds and cacti and cows and Ugh, coming to a fake console near you. Probably never. This is the worst skit ever. Your face is the worst skit ever. At least it's not the Star Fox Diaries. Hey, Star Fox Diaries was great. What you are you talking about? Look, Frog's bathing and pudding is disgusting. I don't even know what you're talking not about. Even in the game. Welcome back. That was wet on the Xbox 360 and PS3, actually. 2009 was the year of release, and this track was called Desert Slaying, and it's by Brian Labarton. So that when you're on a, like a sleigh in the desert, just kind of jingling <laughs> along? Yay! <laughs> this game is fantastic. I forgot how good it was. I actually booted it up uh, just to remind myself of the game, because I had forgotten. It's been years since I played it. Actually, I, I picked it up at launch when it came out. And I really, really enjoyed it. It, it. The scores that the game got, a lot of people had problems with it, but I, I always say don't listen to the critics completely, make up your own mind, and I think that everybody should definitely give this one a, a chance because it's one of my favorite games that came out during that last generation of the PS3, Xbox 360 generation. Huh. So, really good game. The track itself is a really nice kind of mix-up of hip-hop with Old West, like Wild West themes. Yeah, yeah. And I think they do a really good job. It's got those like like marching kind of drums as, as far as like the drum rolls, like the, the snare hits. So really good on that. And then I also really love towards the end of the track, it kind of breaks down into this really kind of creepy like... Crying these, elephants. Yeah, like these <laughs> saxophone stabs that are just like constant and they're just really good on top of the drums. So that it, it overall is a really good track. Yeah, I love the, the section where like the guitar, the bass, the brass, and the bells are they're all, all dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. It's really cool. It's very, very rich sounding. Yep. Somebody in the uh, YouTube comments under, under this track that I was initially listening to called this the doorbell song, which 
is unfortunate because now that's all ding I hear. Dong, ding dong, ding dong. It's yeah, like somebody's yeah, ringing yeah. the doorbell while you're trying to listen to this really cool Western song. Yeah. Even knowing it as a doorbell, like I still enjoy the track. Well, you just ruined the track for everybody. See, so. you know, I did that with the um, Contra we, song too, remember? You did. Oh, we don't play that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, overall, I, I really did enjoy this. I liked the end part as well where it just sounds very kind of mishma like chaotic and then mm-hmm. it kind of wraps itself up at the end uh, very tightly and a little with a little bow on top I'm so. gonna paraphrase what Brian wrote uh, Brian Labarton who is the main composer for the game he wrote I wanted music that would scare the but you know what yeah out of you make you feel like you're in the game it had to put you on edge and freak your brain out face melting musical debauchery which is perfect explanation for this soundtrack Indeed. the rest of the soundtrack is i mean there are some more uh, tracks by brian labarton we also have to credit his musical cast that included uh, people like carla azar from autolux motown drummer james gadson Sean Davis on bass and Justin Stanley on guitar, as well as Davey Chegwidden on percussion and Elizabeth and Chris Lay on trombone and saxophone. Motown drummer. There's yeah. your answer, man. Yep. That There's that hip-hop yep. influence. Exactly, that Motown jazz kind of feel to it. Yep. So bluesy, really good stuff. But the rest of the soundtrack is composed of rockabilly groups and kind of like... Uh, Tex-Mex style. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like hard rock, like feng shui. There's a lot of like western meets hip-hop yeah. in this soundtrack. I was listening through it and a lot of it's really different than this, but it's also, yeah. it's really good stuff. This was not my first track to pick from this, but unfortunately due to the licenses, we couldn't pick the track that I really wanted to play, which was uh, Para... Un Es Bandito, I believe the name of the track is. Mm-hmm. It's really, really good. It starts off with like a Spanish guitar, kind of like Hotel California-esque. Yeah. You should throw that up in the Facebook group. I, yeah, I definitely will because it is a fantastic song. It, it kicks in this like really awesome like hard rock. You'll be singing the chorus in your head for like <laughs> forever because uh, afterwards, after listening to it, uh, it's just like Bandito, Bandito, just like that is an awesome track too. So anyways, <laughs> the game is really good. It is a game where you play as this character called Ruby Malone, and she is a bounty hunter kind of mercenary, uh, all altogether badass lady. And she swears like a sailor, like when she <laughs> puts her sword in, she has a sword and guns, and you can get different guns as you go through the game, like shotguns and uh, all sorts of different guns. And so, when you get to a part in the game where you have to enter into a door, you stab it with the sword in between the door, and she's just swearing to herself as she's like trying to get the door open. It's really funny. <laughs> uh, again, this is a mature-rated game. Don't play it with the kids. It's bloody. It's gory. It's tons of swearing. Not a lot of like the characters. They take her really seriously. Like not a lot of like overly sexualization or anything like that. No pandering. She is uh, all together. She's a badass. She's a badass. Yeah, she's awesome. So she's voiced by Eliza Dushku. Oh, cool. uh, From Buffy and, you know, a couple other things. So really good stuff. It's got kind of like a grindhouse vibe to it. Yeah, definitely has like a um, Quentin Tarantino, Robert. Robert Rodriguez kind of style to it. Yeah, but it's got these like almost film cuts and little like commercials in between the levels to like certain levels where they'll have like one of those like old timey like go get a snack sort of intermission things. (laughs) And you'll be 
playing the game and there's a huge, huge focus on like Max Payne style or like a Dead to Rights style slowdown. That's like pretty much bullet time stuff. Bullet time stuff. So like you're, the whole point is to chain together as many slowed down moves as possible. Okay. So you're, you're just trying to keep up the bonus and if you get enough points at the end because you get points you can use those to unlock certain abilities and different like play styles and upgrades to your health and your weapons and everything cool there's moments where uh, you're riding on a car like on top of like the on the highway and you're like going through and you're jumping from car to car it's really cool and really cinematic and there's other parts where you are the game goes into this like berserker rage where she just like gets really angry and so she just is murdering guys like left to right and that has only left to right she can't go right to left or right to left murder guys up up down down in one direction a b start (laughs) uh so the game goes like full like noir so it's like all blood red black and white and that's it interesting so it's really really cool there's so much that i could talk about with this game but i highly recommend anybody who is interested in an awesome action game with some really cool like challenges too in it too like platform-esque challenges it it will make you go back to the game over and over again to play through it and there's different modes there's different difficulties too so i recommend playing it on easy just to get the story first and then just go through again keep going through it like normal hard super hard so excellent yeah man all right Ready for our next one? Yeah, let's do it. All right, next on our list is a game called Trials Frontier. This came out on Android and iOS in 2014, and this is the village theme from Vili Vitanyemi.
And welcome back, that was Trials Frontier, released for the Android and iOS operating systems in 2014, composed by Vili Vitanyemi, and that was the village theme from the game. For a mobile game, I think this has a really rich, kind of awesome soundtrack. I didn't expect it to be that good. This is a game that is, like, listening to this soundtrack is kind of like a peek into my life because I have been playing this game every single day since it was released three years ago. It sounds you like you got it. a problem. I have a problem. <laughs> it's just, the game is a lot of fun. This soundtrack is just something that I've memorized every note of this song just from hearing it so much. And there are a lot of different parts throughout the song. And when you go back to the village after playing the game, it will start at different segments within the, so it feels like a whole bunch of different songs. And it's kind of neat to see them all strung together one after another in this. But I, I love how like there's that wind and like the, you can hear the windmills in the background kind of going at the beginning. And that really nice guitar part just really gets stuck in my head whenever I listen to it. It gets me throughout the rest of the day. This song, it's not bad. I don't know, it, it certainly has Western vibes, but for, for me, when I'm listening to this song, all I can think of is like sitting on like porch and in a rocking chair, like one of those like hanging rocking chairs, like the <laughs> ones with the steel hanging support things. And it's like a long rocking chair. And I've got a huge, like mason jar glass full of lemonade and i'm just sipping it and listening to this song that's what i picture i don't know why i can definitely see that but that's what i picture i can see that for sure well again you know this this song doesn't really play during the action sequences of the game so it is kind of like a more relaxed this is where you're like upgrading your bike right. or kind of choosing which track you want to race or you know stuff like that so, so it's not it's a little more laid back it's not very similar to wet wet wasn't a western game so to speak but it had a very like western themed soundtrack so when you say yeah. trials it's very similar where i know the game is like a dirt bike game but yeah it well what happens is this is kind of like this was released at the same time that trials fusion came out we, okay. we played a track from trials fusion like a free picks episode like right. 10 or 20 episodes ago so trials fusion kind of shows the end of the world as you're like riding these tracks things get like more crazy and eventually the apocalypse starts mm -hmm. trials fusion takes place years and years after that apocalypse so humanity is kind of rebuilding itself so dirt bikes are kind of not even just dirt bikes but motorcycles in general are kind of like allegories for horses okay so technology is still like there's rudimentary electricity and some remnants of old technology that are kind of being used, but people are basically using motorcycles to get around. And so people that are really good at stunt riding and stuff are kind of like the like, like the cowboys are the most respected people. The cowboys of Moo Mesa. Exactly. <laughs> cowboys of Dirt Bike Mesa yeah, or something yeah. like that. And so you are you have this huge map and as you improve your times on these tracks, your bikes get better so you can beat tracks that you couldn't beat previously or get better times. And once you get better times, you unlock more tracks all around the map. And there are hundreds and hundreds of tracks to play. And it's it's cool because there's like, you know, you can, you can spend money and buy more stuff if you want to, but if you're just good at the game and if you just diligently like play the game like I do every single day you can earn these <laughs> these these parts I know right. this is not your kind of game at no, all not at all no. so I, I, I it's not that I dislike games where you do the same thing over and over again I just need an end yeah for the most part it's not like 
I, I've played a Trials game before. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was one that was like free or something like that for a while on Xbox Live Gold. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Something. And I tried it out and was like, nope. I just played like five minutes of it and was like, no. It's hard. It's very physics-based. It based. is definitely a difficult game. It's very physics-oriented, so you have to... It's like Excite Bike with extreme physics, basically. Yeah, I was, I was not as into it, but then my brother got really into it and a couple of... My other friends got into it. We were all friends on Xbox Live. Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily play against each other, but you kind of play for, like, best times. You upload best your times, times and right. stuff. So my brother and I kind of got into trying to beat each other's times and stuff because you can see their ghost race through. So you right. can kind of use That's that cool. as, like a, as, a, as a template for how to run the track. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up just getting really, really good at it. And mm -hmm. so when this game came out, I was like, sure, it's by the same guys, Red Lynx. I think the first Trials game that came out was just Red Lynx only, and then Ubisoft bought them. Mm. And that's when they developed Fusion and Frontier. Right, right. So their infrastructure got a little better. Their online play got a little better. So I ended up just kind of accidentally through trying to beat my brother, got mm. really good at it. Right, right. So I ended up playing this game. And there is an end. You know, there's a there's a... To Frontier, there's this guy, Butch, that okay. um, has set all these best times, and you have to kind of beat him as, as he goes through. Like a loose story. Yeah, exactly. So once you beat him, like, that's, quote-unquote, the Beating end of the game. The game. Right, right, right. But then there's also these leaderboards through everybody that plays, and mm -hmm. you kind of work your way up the leaderboards and stuff like that. So yeah. that's basically what I've been doing now. So you're number just, one on the leaderboard I'm for the world. Very, I am like 6,500 out of like 800,000. Oh my God. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty darn good at the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it just kind of helps me get through because I like seeing my name go up the ranks as, right, as right. I go. It's really the only online game I play. Speaking of ranking, that's very similar to how I felt about Iron Horse when they re-released it on the uh, game room for the Xbox 360. Hmm. I played the crap out of that. And it's also a Wild West themed game that I was tempted to pick from. But when I played the game on the uh, on the game room, they didn't have a soundtrack. So it's literally just the sound effects from like the clipping, oh. clip-clopping clip horses and stuff. Interesting. There's no soundtrack for whatever reason. I don't know if it was something that you needed to turn on or whatever, but yeah. uh, I got really good at the game to the point where I think I was number 10, I think, wow. out of maybe like a thousand something people. So Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I... I I get that aspect of wanting to be like the best in terms of leaderboards. There's very few games that I really care about it. Yeah, yeah, you know for, I mean? yeah. For me too. I mean, I'm not. It's normally not my driving force. It's yeah. just that I happen to get so good at it right. that I happen to be at the top. So I just, it's more motivation for me to. to and every day you get new little missions that mm -hmm. you can accomplish. And there's right. like a little jukebox that if you beat the mission, the jukebox gives you. Then you you get more items and stuff for for playing. So for, it's just fun for a game that came out in 2014. Though for them to continue supporting it like that, that's, that's yeah. a testament yeah. to the players that are playing the There's game. There's a very active fan base, yes. and it is, it is a very well-made game. Vili Vitanyemi is a Red Link's employee, so he's worked on games like the Trials Fusion games. Uh, worked on a little bit there. This was his first game that he composed for like a really big publisher. He previously only worked on one game called Starcrossed, which was a Windows Phone only game, so nobody played it. Uh, <laughs> Except me, probably. And so, yeah, he doesn't really have too many other games under his name. Uh, he, on his uh, LinkedIn profile that I found, he's working on a couple of unannounced games for Ubisoft, so he's still in the biz. Uh, he's just coming up with sound effects and stuff for games that haven't been released yet. Well, now all I can think about is cows riding dirt bikes. That would be fun. Sure. Why not? Sure. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, let's move into our next game. This is a really great game. Wild Arms on the PlayStation 1. This came out in 1996. And the track is Courage Dungeon by Michiko Naruke. My arms are going crazy. <laughs> back that was wild arms on the playstation one came out in 1996 the track was called courage it takes place during the courage dungeon just to clarify the previous statement and it's by michiko naruke now this game i don't have that much experience with in all honesty i'm maybe like three to four hours into the game and, you know, it is a JRPG, so it's it's going to take a while to beat. But I'm really enjoying it. And it's definitely, it, it has a different feel and vibe than typical JRPGs, but it does still feel familiar to the, the whole JRPG, like, story, you know, where you play as a, a character who gets ostracized from his world, I guess. It's a Wild West RPG, basically. Uh, you play as uh, initially a character called Rudy rough night oh boy <laughs> and he's a 15 year old boy who saves this he, he has this thing called an arm which is a it's like a forbidden weapon like they're not allowed to have them or whatever but he has one and he ends up getting cast out of his village when he saves somebody who's in a cave basically this little child gets lost in a cave and you have to go into the cave and try to rescue him. So you do, and then everyone's like, oh my god, you have an arm, get out. That's it, you're fired. You're done. Yeah. But everyone in the town like loves him, like totally loves him. Uh, everybody cares for him and everything, but then they're basically like... So that's how big of a deal it is. Yeah, but like half the townspeople, like some of them are just like, you know, we're really sorry that we have to do this, but we really have to ask you to leave. So he leaves. So arms are like... like um, They're actual guns. Like, they are guns. Like, Wild West guns. But are they, like, like part of your shooters. body? Like No, that's what's weird. So just like, owning one is... As far as I know from what I've seen in the game, it's just a gun. And weird. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. Uh, there's two other characters in the game, and you kind of experience the story through them separately. So there's Cecilia, who's, like, this royal, like, princess kind of mage who's studying at this school. So you are, I'm, I'm at that part where I just met Cecilia. And so you get the chance between continuing to play as Rudy or bouncing back and forth between Rudy and Cecilia, um, depending on you know who you switch to at, at the end of a certain chapter. 
of the game. There's another character who I haven't met yet whose name is Jack Van Barace, and he's like this like treasure seeker and like you know kind of like a higher god kind of guy. Yeah, kind of, um, kind of like uh, power hungry a little bit from what I understand. But yeah, so the story, uh, again, I'm not going to get too much into, but basically the story of these three characters kind of coming together to fight a greater power. Cool. So This it's, song reminded me a lot of like um, JRPG mixed with yep, Western Elm. Like, definitely. Like I, I heard a lot of like yeast, especially with that bass line and the, yes. and the percussion elements. But then the horns, obviously, were, were very Western sounding. I love the horns. The horns are like one of my favorite parts of this song. It's, it sounds very classic JRPG, but as you said, with a, like, a really great Western twist to it. The game did get a re-release as Alter Code F, completely redone, enhanced graphics, expanded soundtrack, remastered, and hmm. all new all new characters and stuff. I haven't played that one. I, again, I really don't have a lot of experience with the series, but I want to get into it because it seems really cool. Uh, from what I understand, the Western theme was kind of dropped in later like versions of the game. Okay. Like uh, There was Wild Arms 1, 2, 3, and then I think 4. Four, and that's kind of where they started to go into more sci-fi, like star oceany kind of. Okay, like same vibe. same universe, but further on in yeah, the timeline or something. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, our, our fans will probably be some of our fans may be able to explain it a little bit better, mm. uh, just because I am a total wild, wild arms noob. But I do want to take a minute to talk about Michiko Naruke, who is basically the composer for the Wild Arms series. Uh, she's done other stuff as well. Her first game was Legion that she worked on with Harito Otsubu, Shinobu Ogawa, and Takaharu Umezu. Yeah, I think um, we talked about her in the Wild Arms 3 back yes. in episode 80. Yep. So, yeah. She jumped on and did uh, Wild Arms 1, 2, 3, Alter Code F, and Wild Arms 4. So she did do composition on all those games. And it's all really, really great music. I mean, if you like the Wild West kind of vibe to it, then I, I think you'll really dig her take on the JRPG, you know, kind of standard music. Yeah. Her compositions in Wild Arms include like a lot of signature, like whistling parts, who apparently is whistled by one specific person, Naoki Taiko. So we have to... Professional whisperer. Yeah. Or whistler. Professional whist whistler. <laughs> So, as far as Michiko Naruke, it's funny because when you look up composers, sometimes you get a picture of the composer, and I'm looking it up, and I knew she was a woman, but I'm looking it up and I see a picture of her, and I'm like, there's no way that's her. Like, she looks super young. And I'm going through, and there's tons of pictures of her, and I'm like, wow, she looks really young. How old is she? And I look it up, and she's like 49 or something like that. I was like, oh my gosh, she looks like she's 20-something. Wow. So it's like, it, it's crazy, like... To see, uh, well, you sure they were current pictures though? I mean, they absolutely. Might have been no, they were. They were like, I mean, you could see like a little bit of aging, like as yeah, the yeah. pictures go along. But her and Kinyo Yamashita, like very young-looking composers. Yeah. It, it's weird. Good skincare. Yeah, we'll blame it on um, skin products yes. or something. Yes, I was actually sushi. really sushi. Sushi. Yeah. I oh, mean, I ate a lot of sushi, and I don't look like a young Japanese woman. Well, you you could if you <laughs> ate more sushi. If you switch to an all-sushi diet. I must. I yes. must do that. You must look like a... My wife would be totally cool with that, too. She loves sushi as well. Well, you'd certainly be more visually captivating to look at right. during these podcasts. I'll have to. 
<laughs> I'll have to get on that then. Yes. I was actually really surprised while I was gathering music for this episode that this is sequenced music. I was kind of thinking that it might have been like streaming audio or something, but mm. these sound samples that she used are you, really crisp and clear. Yeah, you, you know, can if you look tell. really closely, you can tell that it's sequenced. Yeah. But with the horns, you could definitely tell. And the, the bass line, actually, yeah. with the horns, I thought that they were more. See, I didn't think that they were live instruments. Oh, okay. But I, based on like the the, the high sample quality mm-hmm. of the samples, I thought that it was you know synth, but then recorded and then streamed audio. Right. I didn't realize that they were all just you know samples within the the whole sample engine of the game. So that that really impressed me with how high quality the sounds that she was using are. Yeah, I mean, she's part of a, a company called uh, Media Vision. And they've done a ton of different games. I don't know if she's worked on all of these, but uh, the Valkyria Chronicles series, they've done a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, they typically make games for Sega and Square Enix, so and Sony as well, of course, with the Wild Arms series. So, cool. yeah, definitely a really neat game. I'm looking forward to playing more of it, and who knows, maybe I'll review it someday. I don't know. Need to see. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What do we got next? Next up is a game called Dead Man's Hand. This came out on PC and Xbox in 2004. This is the title theme from that game. And the composers on the title are Calexico, Rom DiPrisco, and Michael Larson.
And welcome back. That was Dead Man's Hand. That was the title theme from Calexico, Rum de Prisco, and Michael Larson that came out on the Xbox and PC in 2004. Dead Man's Hand is a card, like a poker card phrase, and you do play poker in this game right? Uh, in between levels. But it, I don't know what it is about this game, but every time I see the box art, because I always saw the box art. Well, it's, it's a hand of poker on the, on the box art. Exactly. Yeah. So to me, this game will always be, I don't care what you call it, but it's, to me, it's always the card game. <laughs> Interesting we'll go with that. enough. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The music is is really good. I, I picked it because, as I said before at the beginning of the show, it's it's got all those those tropes that I kind of like about it. Like you picked a lot guitar. of chill songs, exactly. And I think that's my favorite kind of uh, style of Western music. Okay. Yeah, the song was written by Calexico. They're a band from Arizona, but settled down in the border town of Calexico, which is right on the border of California and Mexico, which okay. makes total sense. Yeah. And it's funny because the, the name caught my eye because at my job, I regularly ship uh, parts to Calexico, California. Oh, that's funny. So I'm shipping to them like almost every single day. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I know that name. What's, yep, yep. What, what is that? So, uh, so yeah, the, the band is, they, they kind of incorporate elements of American pop and uh, Hispanic and Mexican influences. Mm. So I think that kind of fits really well here because you get a lot of that kind of like Robert Rodriguez, like Desperado style grindhouse right. uh, music. But then it also floats into those little like nicer sounding accordion and violin style, very Mexican influenced. But it kind of goes back and forth between those, those you know, violin and, and accordion parts and then back to those really deep, bassy, kind of grindy style uh, pieces, which is really cool. Yeah, the accordion is probably my favorite part of this song, mm. just because it stands out and it's so unique and fresh sounding. It it gives a different vibe to the track that you know all the other tracks that we've listened to so far have not. There's a, a few songs left in this podcast, and one uses a uh, what do they call it? a mouth weasel. Or mouth whistle? Jaw harp? Jaw harp, yeah, or jaw, uh, mouth jaw. Some I, I can't remember the technical <laughs> term, but, you know, I like that Western music uses instruments that don't get a lot of show in modern music. So yeah. things like, you know, jaw, mouth thingy, whatever it's called. You're talking about the instrument that kind of goes, yeah, 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 they, yeah, they yeah, call yeah. it a jaw harp. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a jaw harp and... Uh, the accordion, you've got like the steel drums and the guitar, the steel guitar and all that type of stuff. You, you, a, a lot of instruments that you don't really hear by themselves and other types right. of, of music. Exactly. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. And you kind of hear them all at once. And they, it's funny how a lot of these different composers incorporate the same instruments, but very differently from each other. So you do get a lot of different different sounds. Right. So Calexico is led by Joey Burns and John Convertino. They have released tons and tons of albums, and they've toured worldwide. Uh, but the songs that they wrote for this game were specifically written for this game. Rom DePrisco, we featured him before when we played a track from Guacamelee. He's a freelancer, but he's got close ties to electronic arts. He worked on a lot of the Need for Speed, SSX, and NHL titles. Dead Man's Hand was developed by Human Head Studios, and Rom DePrisco also composed the music for the Rune series, which is a third-person action title that they did like a couple years before this mm, one. Mm-hmm. Most recently, DePrisco's working on games like Fortified for the PC and the Xbox One, uh, a new Unreal Tournament game that's coming out, and a few titles that haven't been announced yet, but he's got them on his, his website. Cool. And then Michael Larson was like a sound production and direction dude. Uh, but he was also credited for music on the Rune series with Rom DePrisco, so I guess they kind of work 
in tandem and stuff. So, so is this game good? Like the game is a very kind of generic first-person shooter game. You play as a character named El Tejon, which translates to the Badger. <laughs> And uh, you hook up with this crew called the Nine, and they're like, they're bandits. And you originally get into it for the fame and fortune and for like robbing and stuff, but they start going on like this murderous spree, and you're not really down with killing. Right, right. So you kind of uh, express some some dissension, and uh, so they end up turning on you, mm. and they lift, they leave you for dead, but you end up later just getting arrested. Like, they, I guess the police find you in the desert or whatever, mm-hmm. the sheriff. Mm-hmm. And you end up meeting this member of the resistance in the prison. And so the first scene is you getting broken out of this prison along with this resistance guy that you meet. And uh, uh, it's it's horrible because even with a patch, the PC version is infamous for this game-breaking bug that takes place within the first five minutes of the game. Okay. So you, you, you're learning how to like duck and turn around, you know, really basic first-person shooter type stuff. And so you go through this little sewer area in the prison, and then you you pop up this ladder where this guy's waiting for you, and he, he throws you a weapon. But you get stuck at the top of the ladder. Like, you just hit forward, and you just keep vibrating against the top of the, of mm-hmm. the platform, mm-hmm. and you can't get through it. So you have to actually turn cheats on and turn, like, fly mode on so that you can fly up the ladder and then turn it off so that he can throw you the way. Like, it doesn't happen in the Xbox version, right. but to have a PC version that you literally, like, yeah. can't play the first five minutes without cheating That's is, like, rough. absurd. Other than that, though, it's it's not a bad game. Okay. Um, it looks a little bit dated. It uses the Unreal 2 engine. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was good looking at its time, but not so much now. Mm-hmm. And you go through, and like you said before, there are poker hands that you play between each level. And right, right. Each level is kind of broken up into, like, a 10 or 15-minute playthrough. There are no checkpoints. Like, if you die during a level, you, you gotta, gotta play the whole thing all over again. Yep. Um, and then the poker hands are cool because if if you play your cards right, meaning if you know how to play poker or know which hands, like, it's very... If you literally play your cards right. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very much in your favor. So, like, if you're looking for maybe four of a kind and you get rid of two cards and you have already three there, it will give you that fourth card. Like, so... Hmm. Um, and then with, depending on what kind of hand you have, you get extra grenades or ammo or life to get you through the next level. That's so, cool. and if you're, but if you're stupid and you get rid of just random cards, you're not going to get any sort of a hand and you're going to start the next level with a disadvantage. Right, so, right. Hmm. Um, but overall it's pretty cool. You know, the, there's cutscenes in between each level and they're, they're interesting to watch. I didn't get very far because it kind of lost my interest a little bit. Like mm-hmm. I think it was probably decent when it came out, but compared to like Red Dead Redemption, Redemption or now. Revolver, right. it's just, it's not anything that is going to hold anybody's interest. So, Gotcha. Well, let's move on to our next game, which is a Super Nintendo classic. This is Wild Guns, and this got released in 1994. It's a track called Carson City. It's by Hiroyuki Iwatsuki and Haruo Ohashi. Let's give it a listen. Yeehaw.
Welcome back, cowboys and cowgirls. This is Wild Guns on the Super NES that you just listened to. You forgot Cowbots. Cowbots, yes. <laughs> Very appropriate for this game. 1994 came out in Japan, 95 in the US, and 96 in Europe. Carson City is the name of the track, and it's by Hiroyuki Iwatsuki and Haruo Ohashi. Oh man, I've been wanting to play something from this game for a very long time, but I've been <laughs> holding off because I really would love to do an episode entirely on Hiroyuki Iwatsuki, uh, right up there as one of my favorite composers, right there with uh, Ikumizutani. They go, they go kind of hand, hand in hand. They both work for Natsume, so yeah. So yeah. I figured they'd break down, and and I'm I'm, I'm still holding. Holding my wealth of, of of tracks from him. This is basically Ninja Warriors meets the Wild West as far as the sound. As far as music goes, yeah, yeah. definitely. And didn't make that connection before, but yeah, for sure. I well, it fits because it, he also did the soundtrack for that too. Yep. But this, I just love the rolling drums that kind of come in. It's almost like a mini breakdown right at the beginning of the track. You've got these like horns that kind of come in, dun, 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 almost like a jazz kind of big band yeah. vibe. And then you get these drums that come in that's just dun 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 dun, dun, dun and starts off with that 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 really rich sounding synth that kind of kind of brushes and rolls in. And I also really appreciate more towards the end of the track, before the loop, you've got, I don't even know what you would call them, but it's just, it's very heroic sounding, very Japanese action, arcadey sound, but it just has that Natsume vibe that I love. Yeah, definitely. And it's got a, like, I heard a lot of Konami in there too, yeah. you know? Like we were talking about that, the, the Ninja Turtles Western style mm-hmm. tracks from Turtles in Time, you yep. know, very much fits in with that kind of aesthetic. Definitely. Um, and definitely heroic. It's funny how a lot of the, like all the chiptune stuff that we've picked has been very marchy, very heroic. Right. And then all, most of the, like the live tracks from the, from the more new games have been very slow. slow and, and, but that's like a genre that wouldn't really work very well on those really action oriented kind right. of games that, that were in the 8 and 16 bit era. Right. I mean, you couldn't picture playing something from something really fast and energetic like that in like a, a slower paced game like Dead Man's Hand or like Dark Watch. Right, right. Those games are much more cinematic oriented and so because of that you need music that, that kind of fits that vibe. So this, this definitely remains classic. Uh, the game did get recently re-released as part of Wild Guns Reloaded. I don't know if they did that partially to help people play it in a format that wasn't a virtual console release, mm. because the Super Nintendo version of the game is insanely expensive. It's like a $250, $300 game right yeah, now. Yeah, it's crazy. For even more than that complete in box. It might have dropped a little bit. Maybe it's down to like 150 or something like that. I picked it up when it came out. Actually, I picked it up when I was working at said game store that I spoke about earlier. It was just sitting on the shelf, and I'd never played it before and looked kind of neat. Didn't really know anything about it. All I knew was it was Natsume, and it was an action game. So I was like, I'll, ch- I'll check it out. Picked it up for $14, and... <laughs> and it, history was made. History was made. It's it's a really awesome game. It's very similar to games like Cabal or the... Nom 75 uh, on Nom, the Neo Geo. Right, Nom 75. It also has like Punisher, like the NES Punisher game. Uh, basically, G. there's Joe. yeah, yeah. There's a character that you're playing as that you can see. Uh, you get two different characters that you can play as in the Super NES version, which is this version: Clint, who's pretty much Clint Eastwood, uh, basically got more muscle-bound Clint yeah. Eastwood, and Annie, who's like a uh, you know uh, Annie blonde Oakley. Annie Oakley, like blonde, uh, bombshellish kind of uh, female character. 
and uh, it's almost like a, I don't want to say cyberpunk, but it's like a it's futuristic s- western Yeah, western game. sci-fi. It's got robots in it. Like, all the enemies that you're shooting, a, they're all like a steampunk kind of sci-fi western robots. And so there is a bit of a story. Uh, essentially, Annie and Clint, Clint's a bounty hunter seeking revenge for the death of Annie's family, so they're working together to, you know, kill all these robots and enemies and stuff. You know, you go into bar areas, you go into canyons, you go into, like, mine levels. Like, there's all different types of levels. The levels are always changing. It's it's full of a ton of variety. Musically, a lot of the music is uh, all sounds very similar to this. Interestingly enough, uh, regarding the new version, uh, Wild Guns Reloaded, they brought back pretty much almost all the staff to work on it, and they created new levels, new characters, new music. I really want to check it out. I haven't uh, checked it out yet, but I I, I want to. It's definitely on my list of games to buy, Uh, and it's very affordable. It's like, I think, maybe 30 bucks. You can get a copy on Amazon, so definitely pick it up if you have a PS4. The game's music was actually created using PC-98's a Roland W30 keyboard and a MIDI sequencer. Huh. And some of the sounds came from also the Roland Sound Canvas series. Okay. So, interesting. Well, considering a lot of the sounds are similar to Ninja Warriors and a lot of other Natsume mm-hmm. SNES games, I guess that pretty much tells us where those sounds came from. It's funny. So, you know, obviously we're talking about Japanese composers that are composing the music. Uh, Hiroyuki Iwatsuki, he took influence from a best of Western CD hmm. that Natsume gave him. Interesting. So like, here, take this as inspiration. <laughs> he was like, all right. So he listened to it and that's where those rolling drums come in and everything. So yeah. uh, all the music is very similar to this in the sense that it's all like Wild West themed. As we said earlier, Ninja Warriors, but for the Wild West. Very cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, so really good game. The uh, way it works is you're controlling the character, but you're actually controlling a cursor uh, that's moving back and forth. You can jump with the character. Jumping always felt very stiff to me in this game, but... You're kind of moving the character and the cursor at the same time. So you're moving the cursor to aim at the enemies, but at the same time you're moving your character to dodge the bullets that are coming at you. So you're kind of managing both at the same time. And you can shoot the bullets as well, if I recall. That that way you, you don't have to worry about you know, attacking, hmm. you know, like getting hit. Um, you know, game is really hard. Like I, I think I've maybe beaten the first level, like that Carson City level that, yeah, that, yeah. that this game is from. Maybe the second level, and then it's it goes to kind of like a, a screen where you can pick from different levels, uh, very similar to like Shatterhand, M- Mega Man, that yeah. sort of thing. There was actually a 32x version that was planned uh, back in '96. But huh. it never came out. I did not know that. That yep. would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Especially the soundtrack would have been cool. Oh, yeah. That'd be interesting to hear the 32X version. I don't know if they would... Uh, I mean, probably would end up using like a lot of the FM synth For sure. Tones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's about it. I don't know. Uh, Wild Guns Reloaded. If you got the coin to drop for the original Super Nintendo version, don't. <laughs> Spend it on... Go get reloaded or go play it on the VC. Exactly, exactly. It's totally not worth that price now. Uh, you know, at best, it's probably a $50 game, I'd say. But it, it's good stuff. Play quality-wise, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. Yeah. So, real quick, uh, Haruo Ohashi really didn't do that much, but was a definite guy from Natsume. A Natsume guy, if you will. Uh, worked on a lot of Power Rangers games. Power Rangers, the movie... Uh, in 1995, he did Power Rangers The Fighting Edition on Super Nintendo as well. Uh, Shinkido Senki Gundam Wing Endless Duel, which is a Super Famicom fighter. Really fantastic yeah, music. Uh, 
uh, Saban's Power Rangers Zeo Battle Racers in 96. He ended with Gekiso Sentai Car Ranger Zenkai Racer Senshi in 96. That was his last game. And of course, uh, also Wild Guns and Pocky and Rocky 2. Man, I sure hope he was a Super Sentai fan because that was his career for the most part. Yeah, pretty much. Hiroyuki Iwatsuki we really won't get into because we're going to do most likely a full episode on him, but all you need to know is that he is awesome. Then that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's all you need awesome to know. Awesome guy. Yeah, awesome guy. Awesome composer. So let's move on to our next game. What do you got for us, Ed? Sure. This is a game that came out on the Wii in 2010. It's called Red Steel 2. This one is called Vulture's Prayer from composer Tom Salta. Vulture's Prayer from Red Steel 2, which came out on the Wii in 2010, composed by Tom Salta. Probably the most energetic track that you picked of the show. I, well, I'd say that you picked. Yeah? Yeah. Which which one was more energetic than that? I don't know. Anything I picked. Anything? <laughs> Your picks were almost all <laughs> That's very true. like somber, like like relaxing, like sipping lemonade. It's my jam. Kind of. No, I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. No, no, I'm no, just saying they they were they were definitely a lot more laid back, and this one was definitely the probably the most energetic pick that you picked. Yeah, I really dug this one. It was really good. I love that mouth. We mouth that that mouth harp. That's what it's called. A mouth harp. Mouth harp. Yes. I've heard it say as jaw harp, but I, I maybe it either is. one is correct. Originally, the term was also called Jews harp, actually, okay. but I don't know. Whatever. Stuff. Yeah, stuff and things. Tease. <laughs> Pickles. And, yeah, so Red Steel 2 is a sequel to the original game. The original game was much more... It was a relaunch title. It was much more... Um, it was less Western and more Samurai. More Samurai, like like Kill Bill kind of Yeah, exactly. Style. Kind of like a Grindhouse kind yeah, of thing. And it's funny how those genres always kind of, like, fit in mm -hmm. together. Um, yeah. But it, Tom Salter also created the soundtrack for that, and he actually won IGN's... Uh, soundtrack of the Year Award for the Red Steel 1 soundtrack. Okay. So they brought him back for the second one. Yeah. And so the, the game, at least Red Steel 2, has kind of a uh, samurai meets Wild West right. meets kind of 
gritty city action game style flavor to it. So I think this song really kind of exemplifies, uh, is, is an example of all three of those kind of genres, because you've got that really fast picking kind of guitar work. Yeah. And then you get the jaw harp that comes in, but then you also get that little area where there's like the shamisen and then like the kabuki style shouts are right. at the same, and it all fits together really, really well. And then it goes right back into the steel guitar after the shamisen parts yeah. are over. Uh, he just did a really good job it's with this. It's very well done. I agree. This is the song that plays whenever like you're walking through an alley or something and then enemies start pouring in from all the different areas uh, and alleyways and stuff. So this music was really like one of those action sequence. When I heard it before I played the game, it reminded me of like being chased by enemies and stuff. But so it kind of does fit that, that action sequence flair that I was picking up on. Red Steel was released, the original, as I said before, as a launch title, the second game came out specifically designed for the Motion Plus Right, it actually uh, came with adapter. one in the box. Right, yeah, the initial print run of Red Steel 2 came with this Motion Plus plug-in adapter that you would use to plug into the Wiimotes. Later, Wiimotes re-released with that functionality already built in, right. which was awesome. Which is the one I um, always use at home. Yeah, that's that's the one I use as well. Because uh, those, those much. Wiimote things on the back of the controllers are so unwieldy. Yeah. When you plug in the adapter into the original Wiimote, it's very... It, it definitely adds some weight and some heft to And it changes the, the balance of the controller, too. It doesn't feel as natural no. waggling it all over no, the place. No, it was much better when they re-released it as the Wii Motion Plus controller. Yeah. Which, all, everything was all built into one controller, and it felt the same, pretty much the same weight as the original. So, yep. um, I don't know what they did, but it's it works. They I did it good. <laughs> they did good. <laughs> this game I own. I haven't played it. It's been one of those games. I have so many Wii games that like they just sit there, and I'm like, I think you will. I think you will get right into this game. Yeah. Because the control is so much like the Metroid Prime series right, the remakes. Right, right. Because you're. Um, moving back and forward and strafing with your nunchuck, yep. and then you're using the Wiimote pointing at the screen to Slashing. aim and look and turn. Right. Uh, and then you can switch back and forth because you're just, you know, you're aiming at the screen, you press the B button to shoot the enemies, mm -hmm. and then if you do a slashing motion, you immediately go right to sword, sword. And, and slash. That's cool. So you can switch back and forth almost like, like Devil May Cry style, where you're, you know, doing combinations between shooting and slashing. Mm -hmm. There are different moves that you can buy throughout the game where like, you know, you have a regular stabbing motion, but you can buy a move where if you tap A and then stab, you do like a takedown stab, so you can buy different moves, hmm. um, power up your, your gun and, and your sword, and, and there's a cool story mode that goes along through the whole thing. It was a really fun game to play. I did not expect it to be as fun as it was when I right. was trying it out. Right. I had only played the original Red Steel when that game came out, and, and it's a launch title, so it's really basic. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they really kind of stepped it up, I think, with this game and fleshed out the story and the characters. Uh, you play as a part of a clan called the Kusanari, and they are kind of like cowboys meet samurai, like I said before. And are they cows? The, they are not cows, are thank they God. Are they, are they badgers? You are not a badger and okay. not a cow. No anthropomorphism, thank God, <laughs> in this game. Um, you know, you have your traditional kind of uh, old Asian sensei kind of guy that teaches you new moves and kind of guides you through the tutorial of Mr. the game. Mr. Miyagi. Essentially. Um, and then you've got your handler who, you know, you listen to on your headset as you're 
going through the city and she kind of gives you instructions on where to go and stuff. Mm -hmm. And you pick up jobs that, that in the in the dojo. You look at a cork board and you can see your different missions and you can choose which one to go on. And then you earn money through those and the money you use to upgrade your stuff and the storyline kind of progresses through there. So it was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm like not too far into it, but I'm going to continue playing it because I was having a lot of fun with it. Ubisoft really doubled down on the Wii uh, later on and they really tried to make more like mature titles. Not so family friendly stuff that everybody else was coming out with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, them and Sega were both like, hey, let's put out a couple games that people really want to play that take advantage of the unique features. And this game did get very good reviews from yeah. what I remember. Much better than the original Red Steel. Yeah, I just so. think it was very overlooked. And it's, yeah. it's kind of one of those hidden gems in the library that's Absolutely. worth a play. There's so many really fantastic Wii games that people haven't sifted through and it's going to take a while for, I'd say, at least five to ten years before people really take a look back at the Wii and realize yeah. that it wasn't just shovelware and Nintendo games. There was a ton of third-party support for that system, tons of overlooked games, indie games and indie developers that released games for it on both WiiWare and physically that are really fantastic. Yeah. So definitely recommend checking out Red Steel 2. I'm going to play it myself because I've heard it's great. Yeah, so, it's fun. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the composer. So Tom Salta, I don't think we've featured him on the show before. Is he a cow? He is. He's a badger, actually. He is? I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> he's actually uh, an MTV Video Music Awards nominated composer. Oh, wow. Uh, he won, uh, again, we're going to talk about the Game Audio Network Guild. He won the uh, award for Best Original Soundtrack for Halo Spartan Assault. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, the IGN Award for Best Original Score for Red Steel 1. He's also worked on games like Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon, the Hawks series. He did some music, uh, original songs, and adaptions for the Just Dance series. So Just Dance Now. Michael. No. Get out of your seat. Never. Do it. Um, but he's not just a video game composer. He's done commercials for Volvo, Infinity, Coca-Cola, and the Marines. Uh, movie trailers. He wrote scores for movie trailers for Toy Story 3, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Astro Boy, and Coraline. And then he's also composed and produced music for artists like Sinead O'Connor, Cher, Drew Hill, Peter Gabriel and Whitney Houston, so... <laughs> he wrote a track called Nothing Compares to Moo. Oh, <laughs> God. Continuing with the cow humor. Moo Mesa. Oh, man. All right, so let's move on to 10 Star for the Super NES. This came out in 1994, and the track is Out in the West, Stage 2. And it's by Chris Jojo, Matthew Cannon, and Sudi Ravel. That was Tin Star for the Super NES that came out in 1994. The track was called Out in the West Stage 2, and it was by Chris Jojo, Matthew Cannon, and Sudi Ravel. 
I like this one. This had such a great vibe to it. I oh, really banjo. Dug. Yeah, I love the banjo sound. And my they favorite really was the um, yeah. My favorite was the uh, that bass drop with the whip and then the bell. Like that combination of sounds is really fun. The, the part where it was like do bong. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I love that. It, it it was great to get that right before it like rolled into the loop of the banjo. Yeah, so I, I thought it was very well timed. This game, I I haven't played it yet. I, I meant to sit down and play it. I own it. But from what I understand, the game can be played with either the Super Nintendo mouse or the uh, Super Scope, right. as well as the controller. So they kind of made it so that you could play with anything. I'm curious to try it with the Super Scope, just because there's not many games for the Super Scope, or really for the, the Super Nintendo mouse. So I think if I do play this game, it's not going to be with a conventional controller. I think I'll give it a shot. Yeah, it would be cool to play it in a couple of different ways. I played it years ago, but I haven't gone back to it in a long time. Yeah. And I think I did play it with the Super Scope just because of that reason. It's like there's only right. a handful of games you can play with the Scope. May as well. I remember being kind of like a side-scrolling yes. game where it's you're a... shooting at targets along. Like you're trying to get It's a rail through. shooter. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a rail shooter. It's developed by Software Creations, the developers of games like Plock. Uh, Spider-Man, X-Men, Arcade's oh, Revenge. This could have been a Tim Falling soundtrack. I, you know, I, I'm sitting here listening to it, and I'm like, this is good, but what if it was like a 70s prog rock soundtrack? <laughs> it could have been, it should have been, but I'm really happy that it wasn't, because this track was great. Yeah, it was. The composer's Chris Jojo. Chris Jojo worked on Plock, but only as artwork. Uh, Audio-wise... He's done Spider-Man, Venom, Maximum Carnage. So he kind of helped with the creation of that music along with a Green Jelly or Green Jello. Yeah, and um, Alistair Brimble, I think, right, did right. the conversion for that. Yep. Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball, Foreman for Real, Cutthroat Island in 95. Uh, skipping ahead a bit, Grid in 2008, F1 2010. And then he continued the F1 series up until 2014 where he was labeled as additional audio support. So he's done guitar and acoustic guitar for some of the games that we mentioned uh, previously. So that is Chris Jojo. Matthew Cannon, uh, Striker 95 was his final game. He has been working on games since 1989. His first game was F29 Retaliator. Later did Robocop 2 for uh, music and sound effects. Operation Thunderbolt, Elf in 1991, not related to the movie later on, the <laughs> Christmas movie. Navy Seals in 91, and Hook in 92. There's a bunch of other games, but uh, his final game was Striker 95, which he did the musical score on. And final composer, Sudi Ravel, hope I'm pronouncing that correct, worked on a ton of the Lego games. Lego City Undercover in 2013. Oh, okay, that's where his name sounds familiar. Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens was his last game. He did Lego Jurassic World, Lego Ninja Go, Shadow of Ronin in 2015, Rugrats in Paris the movie, to go backtrack a bit, in 2000. Uh, Foreman for Real and Cutthroat Island, so we worked on that with the other composer, as well as uh, Spider-Man Venom Separation Anxiety in 1995. Yeah, no, the, so the game I haven't had any personal experience with, but I plan to. So you play as a character named Tinstar. He's the protagonist, and he is this robot. Like, a lot of the characters, in fact, I think all the characters are robots. It's like the Old West. That's mm. the name of the town is Old West, with without the D at the end of Old and uh, it's all populated by robots. And cows? No cows, as badgers? far as I know. Maybe badgers, maybe Robot cows. badgers? Maybe robot cows and robot badgers. Half badger, half cow? Yes, yes. Cowger? 
Cowger or Bao. Bo? Badao. 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 I feel like I'm in Kung Pao. <laughs> Anyways, so there's a bunch of characters in the game, which we won't really go into, but uh, basically the, the plot is you're going against a group called the Bad Oil Gang, and that's pretty much it. I don't really have much experience with the game, so I can't really talk about it, but it is a neat little title from what I understand, and if the music is half as good as this track, I'm on board. Right on. I'd be cool. a good contender for Epistle Tunes Plays at some point. Definitely. So, what's our last game? Last track of the day is Outlaws. This came out on the PC in 1997 from LucasArts. The track is called Sanchez the Outlaw from Clint Bajakian and Hans Christian Rumschussel. Room shishl. Room shishl. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hit it.
All right, that was Outlaws, which came out on the PC in 1997. The track was called Sanchez the Outlaw, composed by Clint Bajakian and Hans Christian Rumschussel. I love this soundtrack. Uh, I'm not normally a big Western music fan, but uh, this soundtrack is like... I, I think it was like a Super Mercado Brothers podcast episode a long time ago. They, they did this on one of their like free pick episodes. They played the theme song from the game and it was just gorgeous. Mm. So I went and sought out, you know, the actual soundtrack itself. And then the whole thing is just absolutely amazing. You know, it sounds like an Ennio Marconi right. soundtrack. Spanish guitars and it's got that awesome horn section yeah which just really rich sounding with the castanets in the background yep, yep. it's just there's so much to love about this game soundtrack and it's funny because the game itself like it runs on the the jedi dark forces engine so it's like halfway between like doom and quake it's this really blocky mm. bleh, looking textures <laughs> you know it, it runs pretty well but the graphics are just very simple but at the same time then you've got this red book audio going with this gorgeous music in the background and it's like they don't fit together right right at all mm. um you know the, the game itself is just a, it's a tale of revenge and you're playing through some some pretty decent Gameplay. It, a lot of it's pretty hard, and a lot of it's really cheap. You just get a lot of cheap one-shot kills mm -hmm. from guys that sneak up behind you. So it, the game itself doesn't really hold up as well as as a lot of the other aspects of the game does. Like for instance, in between stages, you get these gorgeous animated cutscenes, which like are movie quality good, um, and it tells the story of Marshall James Anderson. And uh, he was a he was a U.S. marshal. He was a successful sheriff, um, a great gunslinger with uh, you know a lot of captures and enemy kills to his to his name. And uh, he retires and he settles down, gets a wife and has a daughter, uh, and moves to this ranch. And the ranch is on land that these rich muckamucks want to build their railroad. Muckamucks. Muckamucks. Hi, muckamucks. Okay then. Uh, it's an actual term. Look it up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, essentially, they have these thugs come. And uh, they burn down the house, and they kill his wife uh, while he's away, and they kidnap his daughter for whatever reason. I sure, don't know. Sure, why not? James comes home, and, and he finds his wife, and they, they she says, who did it? And so he runs Wait, so off. Wait, she's still alive? She's still, she's like barely holding on to life. Right. So she dies in his arms, basically, mm -hmm. um, and, and says, you know, it was whoever was trying to take the, the land. The Mad Gear Gang. The Mad Gear Gang. Uh. <laughs> the cowboys of Mumesa <laughs> killed your my daughter. So he goes off to look for his daughter and, and, and you know, bring bring the bad guys to justice. And uh, But it's just told through these lovely animated sequences in between these very blocky, <laughs> kind of crappy-looking action gameplay sequences. Mm. But all the while, you get this gorgeous music in the background. So it's like, it's like the parts don't add up to each other. It's right. like you get this great soundtrack and these great animations with this kind of cheesy gameplay, but... So it doesn't um, make up a great game, but the cutscenes and music are good. Yeah, it ends up being more than the sum of its parts, I think. You mm -hmm. know, if, if you really want to, I guess, get the best experience, just look it up on YouTube and just watch those animated cutscenes, because they have them in pretty high quality on YouTube. Mm. Um, you can pretty much just watch the whole um, sequences play out. And it, there's a good amount of the animated sequences, too. So, um, So not a game that I would recommend you actually, like try to find because even if you do find it it's almost impossible to get running like you actually have to be running xp in order to oh to install the game so it's just it's worth just kind of like watching some footage of it on youtube if you want Fun. the full experience 
Uh, a little bit about the composers. Hans Christian Rumschussel was a LucasArts employee. Outlaws was his first game. And then he went on to work on games like The Curse of Monkey Island and Grim Fandango. Clint Pajakian, on the other hand, had a much richer history with games. He started at LucasArts in 91, where he worked on the original Monkey Island 2 series. He started on Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge, and then worked on... <clears throat> and then worked on nearly every single LucasArts title ever made um, all the way up until 2002. So you see his name as like audio director on all right. the Star Wars games, mm -hmm. all the Grim Fandango games. It's, it's like ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Um, after that, he did some freelance and wound up at Sony as the senior music supervisor. So he worked on games like God of War, Uncharted, Pain, Fat Princess, Motorstorm, and SOCOM. And then uh, worked a little bit, like, concurrently while he was at Sony, also worked uh, at Double Fine uh, and worked as an audio supervisor for Psychonauts and Broken Age, so... He also worked on a game called SoCal. SoCal? That's yeah. when they turn the M upside down on SoCal. Yeah, it yeah, becomes yeah. anthropomorphic cows anthropomorphic shooting each other. Anthropomorphic cows in a Western environment, and they are part of a task squad. That's SoCal. Yeah. <laughs> That's so moo. <laughs> Excellently produced game, but one that only parts of it still hold up right nowadays. Word. So, and that is our show. That's our Wild West hoedown. So, y'all hope you had a good time listening to this little episode. And ye doggy, and you sound so enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many games that I wanted to talk about, just to name a few. Um, I wanted to mention Gun on the Xbox oh, 360, yeah. and also uh, Gunman Clive. Gunman Clive, we've played a track from that yeah. on our exercise that's, episode. That's kind of why I skipped it, because we played a track from the series, yeah. so I wanted to skip it. What else is um, out there? Rising Xan. Gunsmoke. Uh, again, Iron Horse, which I mentioned earlier. There's a ton of really great Wild West games out there. Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Revolver. Cowboys of Moo Mesa 2, Electric Moogaloo. Moogaloo. <laughs> Or, or Boogaloo. Booga, Boogaloo. Boogaloo, yeah. <laughs> I was trying to say it, but I couldn't get the words out. <laughs> so that's our episode. Leave a comment on the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Radio. We want to know what you guys thought of the episode, and we want to know what track was your favorite. So let us know. You could also do that same exact thing, but in a different place on Twitter. Our handle is at... Pixeltunes Radio, or shoot us an email at pixeltunesradio at gmail.com. Uh, and that's also a great place to send us a question for our Pixel Chat segment. We are currently running a little dry on questions, but if you want to shoot us a question, go ahead and we will be able to answer it with flawless victory, majesty, and victory. And victory. Vic Victorsty. Also, uh, don't forget, you can head over to pixeltunesradio.com. That's where you can look at our show notes, uh, listen to the show, and you can also leave comments on that blog as well. We will definitely see that and respond Absolutely. to comments there. And, of course, iTunes. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, your mom's basement. I don't know. Where else can you listen to us to? Uh, Places, things, yeah. tin cans. Any podcatcher, basically. Any podcatcher. Anywhere where our RSS feed is... Is present. You can find our show um, on the Blueberry website as well. That's where we track our, our stats and stuff, but you can also yes. find our show there. Word. And also, you can check us out at youtube.com forward slash dongled. And that is where you can also watch episodes of Dude, You Haven't Played This Game. Also, our Pixel Tunes Plays series, where we or I or Ed or 
one of us or both of us or a cow or a cow play video games and sometimes it's the games that we mention in episodes so bessie what do you think of this one yeah those aren't the best episodes go home (laughs) (laughs) also you can check out ed's sister podcast i guess you could call it impulse project impulse project head over to impulseproject.info or catch us on itunes we play music from the tracking community and the demo scene so lots of amiga c64 and game boy tracks composed by amateurs friends demo sceners people good stuff humans lots of arpeggios cows And cheese. And cheese. Oh, God. Can't forget the cheese. So what do we got next episode? Next up, we are doing uh, point-and-click adventure games. We are going to have a special guest host who has not been on in a very, very, very long time. Almost three years. So uh, he's a good friend of mine, and we're lucky to have him come back and join us this game series that we're going to be doing with point and click adventures is kind of his specialty he knows a ton about them and so all three of us are going to pick from some point and i play them a lot too i really enjoy them as well so this will be fun to talk about definitely i'm going to be the odd man out because i don't have a lot of experience but i've got two weeks so we'll figure it out (laughs) (laughs) crash course yes all right boys and girls we will see you in two weeks until then keep it real yeah